The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 80. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing an animated series episode called What of Our Planets is Missing? Joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. So, Dom, did you check the Medusa Cascade for the planet? Oh, wait, that's a different, that's a different series. <laughs> yeah, there you go, Clom. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, folks, if you can uh, indulge us, if, you, if you're not yet a subscriber to the podcast, we would encourage you to do so. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, even on Spotify these days. So uh, you can also subscribe in your favorite podcast app or at the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications when a new episode goes up. Uh, we, we want Before we get into talking about today's episode, we want to talk about some news, uh, some sad news uh, that's come out in recent weeks. We record these uh, episodes Ahead a little in advance. Yeah, a couple, we're yep. a couple weeks um you're listening to this a couple weeks after we've, uh, if you're listening to it as soon as we release it, a couple weeks after we record it. But uh, in the last week or so, we've had the the passing of three big, three names in Star Trek history. Uh, one of them, uh, maybe not as big in Star Trek, but certainly relevant to uh, this podcast because we've talked about their an episode they were in recently. So yeah. let's just talk, mention them. And you've yeah. probably heard of them if you're, if you're a Star Trek fan. So recently we talked about the episode Charlie X, which was yes. written by DC Fontana, and yes. she's one of the ones who passed. She was uh, she started as a writer in television in an age when it wasn't common for women to write, especially in genre fiction, but she wrote westerns and mysteries mm -hmm. and sci-fi. She's yeah. a really good writer. She's responsible. She served as script editor in the original series. She played a role in the creation of The Next Generation. And she's a really good writer, and she wrote Charlie X, and she passed. Yes. Yeah. Also, with Charlie X, there was the Charlie Evans character himself. Yep. And the actor that played him was a method actor, and he's also passed on. Yeah, Robert Walker Jr., uh, who you, you if you if you're a fan of older movies, you know from AMC and you know those the, the movie channel, uh, you might have seen him in lots of uh, older movies from the. 50s and 60s and into the 70s even yep. not maybe not the 50s uh, but the 60s and 70s uh so he was he, he made a lot of movies and uh yeah he passed on as well and then uh just as we record this yesterday we found out that probably the biggest one for star trek fans Rene aubergeonois who played odo on deep space nine also passed away uh at the age of 79 he apparently had had cancer according at least according to uh, the reports right. I saw from his son, I think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the great characters in Star Trek, uh, certainly unique character, and played per so wonderfully by 
Renee, uh, over the years. And, and so, uh, just, uh, it's really sad, sad to, to see that as we lose these, 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 these people who've created such wonderful things for us. He was such a great actor too. I mean, he was not just in Star Trek, but Benson's a lot of people know him. Right. For. Oh yeah. And, and soap. <laughs> he was Clayton something or other on Benson. Yeah. yeah. And I remember the first, I think the first time I saw him may have been on the Bob Newhart show back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. He was playing a visiting psychologist from France. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting thing too, is he was probably one of the older, if not oldest actors yeah. in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, so we kind of have lost the, just in a few months, we've lost the oldest and, and one of the, certainly one of the youngest, if not the youngest, yeah. because we also lost right. Aaron Eisenberg, who played Nog. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I'm just looking at uh, Renee's, uh, his, his Wikipedia entry. Um, he was in Boston Legal, which was another more recent yep. than Deep Space Nine, and he uh, was in Benson, and before that, Soap. Benson was a spinoff of Soap, mm-hmm. uh, but but probably most famous to most people for his work in Deep Space Nine, and so it's, at, it's, at least on this podcast, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it, I think in the popular consciousness, I think Odo mm-hmm. might be a bigger character than ben- Benson uh, was popular at its time. But I don't know how much it gets reruns or anything like that. Whereas DS Nine is is still yeah. known yeah. again amongst amongst sci fi at least. But well, I hope he makes it to the great link above. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I I remember when uh, Deep Space Nine was was uh, announced and cast. The only two actors I had any familiarity with, I think, were Rene. Aubergine from Benson and um, Captain Cisco, Avery Brooks as Hawk from from uh, Spencer. Also, of course, you knew um, Call Meanie, but because of Next Gen. Well, yes, right. yes, of course, of course, that's true. Uh, yeah, he and he had done done many guest spots. Like I'm looking at his his list of things that he guested on, and yeah, he's he's he was actually on a Star Trek Enterprise. He was on a Stargate SG One, Warehouse Thirteen. I'm just thinking of some of these these episodes. Yeah. So, uh, what, what, a uh, 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 pray, pray for his, uh, pray for his repose. Uh, you going to yeah. say, I'll, I'll I just remembered, uh, seeing him in a, it was a very short run, less like less than a season series in the late nineties called the hot zone, which was about a biological terrorism response team and, and up against some evil bioterror group that was wanting to bring about the end of humanity or something. And it didn't last very many episodes. And I wish I, I remember liking it. I wish they'd put it out so I could see it again. But there was one episode where Rene Aubergenois played a, a kind of traveling salesman character who had this fruit that he would give slices to in a in a church to people like communion and it was huh. all very evil and sinister and the very strong implication was that this is the fruit from the garden of eden and mm. that reneo bourgeois is the devil oh, oh nice <laughs> i can imagine yeah i could see how he could yeah he would do that <laughs> he'd be good uh playing the devil oh um, I'm trying to see the, like trying to find it uh, hot on uh, on his IMDb, but I don't see it. So maybe it may, something it, similar. It, to well, that. it may I may be confusing it with the title of another book slash movie that was popular at the time. It may have actually been called The Burning Zone. The Burning Zone because one of them Dickens. was yeah. yeah, one of them was The Burning Zone, the other was The Hot Zone. Huh. That's what that's what it's The Burning Zone is on his uh, IMDb. Yeah. 
During the St. Michael's Festival, a priest who has a crisis of faith is influenced by mysterious Dr. Dickett's to abandon God. So on and so forth. So, yeah. Uh, also starring De- Jeffrey Dean Morgan uh, on that episode. So cool. All right. So uh, we do, you know, obviously, we, we pray for the repose of the soul of D.C. Fontana, Robert Walker, and Renee aubergeon So uh, And we greatly Absolutely. appreciate all that they gave us in what we now have as uh, their legacy in Star Trek. We, yeah, we do appreciate absolutely. that. Also, one note, I had never noticed, I'd never known this before, but in reading the obituary for René Aubergenois, I mean, obviously, he has a French name, both a French first name and a French last yep. name. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he was very proud of his French heritage because all of his kids have, like, really French names, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to see where his... Uh, he was born in New York City, though. Uh, mm-hmm. His father was... Uh, born in switzerland so that mm. that's got to be where oh, that comes from french-speaking switz yeah yes uh, all right so um let's talk about one of our planets is missing so this is uh, a we it's you can't really talk about a first season second season of star trek animated series it's very short uh, technically run. there are two but yeah t- t- yeah it's only a handful of episodes but uh this is the the third episode uh of the series and it uh, aired in 1973. It's written by Mark Daniels, who was a yep. longtime director of many uh, right. original series episodes. Mm-hmm. But this is his, I think, his first outing as a writer for Star Trek. He also, you do get to see him, though, on screen once in the original series because he is the photos image of Jackson Roykirk, the creator of the Nomad Probe in the oh. episode The Changeling. And so when they call up the image of Jackson Roykirk to see who invented this thing, it's Mark Daniels. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So, and it's uh, directed by uh, uh, Hal Sutherland, who directed all the episodes of of, uh, the the animated series. And like a lot of the animated episodes, because they were so short, they were only, you know, 20 some odd minutes long. Mm -hmm. They, 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 there's not a lot of extra. Yeah. It really picks, starts, starts with the action, ends with the end of the action. That's it. I, one thing I wrote down is it feels like this was a longer episode that was cut down. Like this was almost originally written as a TOS episode, which it doesn't sound like it was. Yeah. But it just, it feels like that because there's so many of these scenes that like, you could see where they could have expanded it by twice as long. Right. Easily. There is, yeah. There's not a lot of character development. There's not a lot of extra talking. There's not a B plot. It's Kirk, just Kirk doesn't do any romancing. <laughs> he has a romance nope. in the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So what do we have here? We have that the, a huge cosmic cloud is entering the galaxy, and the Enterprise is sent to investigate near this uh, planet called Mantilles, which we are told is the most remote inhabited planet in the Federation. Which is very interesting. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting fact to throw in there, and there yeah. has to be something that's most remote. And the Enterprise is being sent because, once again, we are the only vessel in the vicinity. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a big galaxy, so I suppose. Uh, they get around, though, don't they? The, I, think, I think Federation starships are, are spread too thin, like butter scraped across too much bread. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, they see the, this cloud, which, again, clouds, hmm, this is, predates uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture by several years, but it's very similar in concept, isn't it? A cloud consumes a planet in the star system, and then they notice that it changes course toward the inhabited planet. Uh, they So there's some sort of mechanism. It's not just a natural phenomena. There's some sort of 
intelligence of some sort directing it. They described the cloud as being 800,000 kilometers in diameter, so it's bigger than several planets. And according to Mr. Spock, it's a strange combination of matter and energy. So it's a plasma is what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) It's some kind of combination. Exactly. (laughs) So, uh, So Kirk asks McCoy for his psychological opinion on whether to warn uh, the people of Mantilles, if only just a few could get away, but, but causing a blind panic for the rest. And uh, that's not really a psychological question, is it? That's a moral question or well, ethical question. S- still, uh, but, and it does help to, you know, say, okay, you're the be- closest thing I have to a ship's counselor. What's your opinion about the about the cost benefit ratio of, of a potential panic? How bad do you think the panic would be? Yeah, but of course that's not really Kirk's call, is it? It's the governor's call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there should be no question. Alert the local authorities. Let them figure it out. Well, yes. it it helps too, and the reason why they do eventually alert the the authorities is the uh, governor is Bob Wesley, who was the commander in the episode yeah. uh, Ultimate Computer. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, when uh, the du- the duotronic computer, yep, the Daystrom M5 uh, takes over the Enterprise. Yeah. Right, so this is right. like Captain Dunsell's revenge. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to explain Captain Dunsell for, for everyone. Oh, okay. So in the Ultimate Computer, uh, the Enterprise is outfitted with a computer that can run everything, and they're going to do some war games. And the then Commodore, now Governor Wesley, sends a, a message to Kirk and says, congratulations to uh, Captain Dunsell. And, and, and it's explained that Captain Dunsell or Dunsell is something that's useless. So now that they have the ultimate computer on the Enterprise, Kirk is Captain Useless. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so Kirk says, who's a Dunsell now, Wesley? Yeah. yeah. He doesn't say that. <laughs> so... uh Spock further explains that the cloud is made up of elements not on our periodic table, and therefore from outside our galaxy. And I'm thinking, does the periodic table just apply to our galaxy? (laughs) But, you know, okay. It's it's, it's an interesting scientific uh, way, a bit of science there. Uh, They they have a different periodic table than we do, actually, at least by next gen's time. Right, And it's not just expanded. And there's more than one way you can frame a periodic table. It's like you don't have to see the castle-like structure that's the famous one. There are spiral periodic tables and 3D periodic tables and stuff. But in terms of the one that we see in, in the background in uh, Next Generation, if you look real close up, it has elements on it like Daffy Duckium. <laughs> so apparently some physicist with an atom smasher was a big Warner Brothers fan or something. Exactly. Yeah, so that'd be nice. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of SQPN, with a special message. The StarQuest Network is fulfilling its mission to explore the intersection of faith and pop culture. And in the past year, we've reached stunning new heights. Our programs are reaching broad new audiences with a message that helps us discern good entertainment, make sense of the world, and share the gospel with others. We continue to launch new shows and bring back great shows. We just relaunched Secrets of Star Wars, which comes at the perfect moment to capture the excitement over the new show The Mandalorian and the climax of the new Star Wars movies. 
The support of our audience is vital to this work and has helped us grow closer to meeting our financial obligations. For that, we are very grateful. But we still need to close the gap. Every new gift extends our deadline. But until we eliminate our deficits, the future of StarQuest and your favorite shows remain in question. This is why it's crucial we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we are very grateful and we ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you are not yet a supporter, please become one now. We urgently need your help in every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? That lets us provide more than 40 hours of professionally produced shows with compelling content. We have special thank you gifts for donors at several giving levels. If you are a business owner or just want to provide a leadership level of support, we now have a special giving level for sponsors, like in public broadcasting. For $500 per month, you or your business can sponsor one of the shows on our network. Listeners will hear a message in every episode thanking you for your sponsorship and giving your website. We'll also have your name and link on the SQPN webpage and in the show notes of every episode during your sponsorship. Whatever level of support you can offer, whether large or small, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas and remember that your gifts are tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. And may God bless you and yours as we approach the celebration of our Lord's birth. Uh, so it, it, the, the, the tendrils of the, from the cloud reach out to grab the Enterprise. Uh, and Spock says that the tendrils are made up of a combination of koinoenergy and ambiplasma. It's almost an ambiplasma. And yeah. there's just enough, just enough Greek in these roots and, you know, <laughs> to all have this almost make sense. I mean, koinoenergy would, could be understood as something like common energy. Yeah, because um, koine is the Greek word for common, and ambiplasma that would be like a sort of plasma or something. <laughs> some some or, sort of plasma, some yeah. sort of a plasma that can grab things. Uh, yeah. let's, let's go with that. So they're drawn inside, and then some gaseous antimatter blobs approach the ship, uh, and they make them go away by putting an antimatter charge into the shields. I'm not sure how that's done. There's a lot of uh, t- techno babble going mm. on in this yeah, episode. But it's they're obviously uh, di- trying to digest the Enterprise in some way. Yeah. Or they're, they're like antibodies. These are like floating cloud teeth. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so uh, Spock speculates that the cloud is a living thing, and the blobs are like enzymes trying to digest the ship. Uh, Kirk eventually gets to talk to, to uh, Wesley, the, you know, the governor, Wesley, and uh, who says they'll try to save the children at least, which is yeah. nice, nice of them. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, I just wanted to point out how this episode, even though Spock says at the beginning, this cloud is like nothing we've ever seen before, because, of course, he has to say that. Yes. Yep. But really, we've seen stuff like this before uh, <laughs> right. uh, uh, and, in this series. And we will again. <laughs> and we will again. This episode is basically a combination of the doomsday weapon, the yes. where you have a planet-eating weapon, the immunity system, where you have a, a, a the immunity syndrome, where you have a right. giant starship-eating amoeba. Yes. And Fantastic Voyage, where you get yeah. to go inside somebody's body really small. Right. And yes, that's exactly it. You could say that's those three things. So, yeah, and it's like they, they, they scan the cloud and it has a digestive system. So they. they I love they op- this. They show it on the screen, and, you know, the structure of the cloud. And they yeah. say, we're here at this near this one orifice, which is now closed behind us. 
Yeah, and, you know, be the mouth. and the cloud drew them in. Yeah. You know, yeah. it grabbed them with its tentacles and drew them in and then closed its orifice. So that's got to be the mouth. Right. Yep. And so what are we going to do? We're going to go through the digestive system to the orifice to the, at the other end of the cloud. So <laughs> well, you, you know what we're they're heading f- for the butt. <laughs> you know what they're going to find there? They're going to find another planet. Yeah, that's right. They're going to find Uranus. Oh. So anyway. <laughs> so, so thanks, folks. Have a good day. I'll get it. <laughs> but above this, this call is over. We're done with this podcast. Uh, sorry. Sorry. I just had to do it. Just dad jokes all, all around. So, yes, they plan to give the cloud in, uh, indigestion before it swallows the planet Mentilles. Uh, that's the, 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 their plan. So they travel through the small intestine, which is lined with antimatter villi. So don't touch it. It'll yep. explode. Yep. And Scotty has the idea to harvest some of the antimatter of the cloud to regenerate the engines. So the engines had been uh, drained, and yeah, so they, they right. didn't have the power to escape. Well, the cloud, is, the cloud is draining all the power from the Enterprise through the shields because that's what right. it feeds on. Right, right. Uh, we I'm, do I'm... get to see the inside of the antimatter. The, the, the cells, we find mm-hmm. out, one's matter and one's antimatter, and we get to see the inside of the antimatter in a cell. That's, that's something we, don't, we haven't seen before. It, yeah, it was, it was great getting to see you know, this part of engineering we've never seen before, um, which is really dramatic, by the way. And they have the dramatic music pounding as we see all <laughs> these amazing, fantastic, or forbidden planet, like big science fiction-y machines doing yes. stuff. yep. I also really like the interior images of the different parts of the cloud, like when they're in the digestive tract and we see the villi that absorb nutrients, although that's, they're really not villi. Yeah. I mean, villi are like little projections that our, our mm-hmm. digestive systems use to absorb nutrients. But these things, we're told, are antimatter and they come into yeah. contact with matter and are instantly annihilated to release the energy. Right. And then they instantly regrow. So they aren't themselves absorbing it they're colliding and they therefore right. don't need to be very complex they just need to be made out of antimatter so right. you've got these antimatter projections to detonate with the matter and then something else must be absorbing the energy just the cloud in general absorbs the energy yeah but i like the fact that the science here is actually about antimatter is actually quite good especially for a children's cartoon show in the 70s mm. i mean this is this is pretty accurate science for the most part at least when they're talking about the antimatter not the Koino energy in the ambiplasma. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they they eventually find the brain. Somehow they went from the digestive system to the nervous system. And they find the brain, and Kirk decides to kill the cloud by shooting the brain. Spock yeah, injects- but the only way they, in order to do that, they've got to detonate the Enterprise. So they're going right. to kill themselves in order to kill the cloud in order to save the planet. Mm-hmm. Right. Spock and that was objects- the house that Jack built. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Spock's objection is that. Uh, the cloud is a possibly intelligent being, but Kirk says, uh, one cloud, 80 million people will take the 80 million people. It's, you know, they, they, yeah. we just, we can't make, you know, we can't do that. Uh, we also find out that they, they're evacuating 5,000 children from the planet. And I'm, I was thinking, is that there, are there only 5,000 kids on the planet or that's just how many they could fit on the ships? Perhaps maybe the latter. McCoy describes the population of the planet as being millions, so I would assume there's more than 5,000 kids. That's just their ship capacity at the moment. Yeah. So Spock suggests that he can mind meld with the creature, so he does this- Through the computer. um, Through the computer, and his open-armed mind meld into like the air. He doesn't actually- He just puts his hands out, um, and he lets the clouds see through his eyes, so they show it pictures and video of Earth- he gets possessed by the cloud. He yeah. like does not yeah. just a mind meld, but a mind swap. 
Right. So like the cloud is in his body and he's in the cloud's body. Right. And and uh, because they showed pictures and videos uh, from Earth showing that, that people live on the planets, the cloud stops at the last minute, of course, the, you know, yeah. just, just before it gets to the surface. Uh, and Spock convinces it to go back where it came from. So go back yeah. to your galaxy. Now that it realizes planets in this galaxy are inhabited. Yes. So it goes back to its own galaxy where none of the planets are inhabited. Have Have you checked, Mrs. Cloud? Um, <laughs> yeah. You didn't check here. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so it's just... kind of like the, what they, sh- it, it's, it's a little over sim- simplistic. They should have said, okay, Cloud, you can stay in our galaxy or you can go, but you need to check your food before you eat it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. You have to check no, to make sure there's nothing living on it. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, and, you know, the other thing that it reminds me of a bit, because uh, this is a plot point that, that has risen several times again, uh, is the cloud anything like the sphere in the second season of Discovery? Yeah, that we, in Obal for, for Charon? Mm-hmm. You know, the... Well, somewhat. I mean, it is a mm-hmm. big, huge thing that's presumably lived for a really long time. Although, if it's been traveling between galaxies, it's had a much more boring life than the sphere. Yeah. Right? But uh, when uh, Spock is unpossessed, you know, he's asked, what did you see? And he says I, that he saw it, the incredible wonders of the universe. So apparently the cloud, like the sphere, has seen incredible wonders of the universe. Mm-hmm. But then the episode ends before Kirk can say, maybe you want to write a report on those? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> interesting. So interesting. Um, some last, that's, and that's pretty much where the episode ends. Uh, some last bits of information about this episode. Uh, Mark Daniels, as you mentioned, directed a lot of stuff. He actually directed the Doomsday Machine, the episode, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there were some bits of this uh, episode f- that were lifted right from that. He just it's like a- nothing we've seen before, <laughs> except mm. we have. Um, then we uh, we we uh, not, there's not a whole lot else to say about this. Is there anything else you guys had to father uh, yeah. about this? You know, well, maybe uh, by the time of Voyager, this planet had made it to the Delta Quadrant, and it was the Coffee Nebula. The nebula where they went oh, in. Right. That's yeah, stupid. That's no. Um, <laughs> Major Barrett was the voice of the cloud when Spock mm-hmm. was yes. communicating with her. Because she did the computer also. Voice. Yep. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, James Dewan, of course, doing. Major Barrett and James Dewan did all the non regular voices. The, yep. the, the, the are regulars from the original series uh, in the animated series. Uh, some of the pl- shots of Earth that Spock showed on the computer screen were from stock footage from the animated series Lassie's. Rescue Rangers. I know. I was going to mention that. I remember seeing that back in the seventies. So they were stealing from other other filmation cartoon shows. Yep. <laughs> we need some stock footage, folks. What's in the What's in the library? What's in the vault? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I I thought it was interesting. The start date for this episode is fifty three seventy one point three. So it starts with a five, and that's significant because the original star dates kind of sort of progress the first digit changes with every season. So the season one star dates tend to, I mean, the earliest is like one, two, one, two point two or something, you know? Um, right. But it's, it, they're in the one thousands. And then in the second season of track, we're up to the two thousands and then the three thousands. And it's, it's approximate. There are exceptions, but the fact this is, uh, you know, a, a 5,000 series star date, would put it after the original series, perhaps in the fifth voyage of the five-year mission. Right. Also in this episode, 
Lieutenant Eric's gets to speak for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's the Adosian with the three arms and three legs at the nav station, and because they didn't have the money to bring back Chekhov, so they hired Jimmy Doohan to play the voice of this alien, and yeah. also <laughs> exploit the fact that now we can have more different more differenter aliens mm-hmm. because we're drawing. Yep, right. Instead of having costumes, that's one of the things about uh, people have often said like comic books and cartoons have an unlimited special effects budget. Right. Because it's not quite true, but it's kind of true. And we see that here, not just with Eric's, but also with the visuals of the fantastic voyage inside the cloud. You know, we Mm -hmm. see the digestive tract. We see the brain. So you have these neuron-like structures when we get to the brain. You have the villi-like structures in the digestive tract. Also, I liked they do get the Enterprise a more dignified way to exit the cloud than the originally (laughs) planned course through the bot. Um, because, uh, when they get to the brain, they discover there is a grid at the top of the brain core and that's what they go out. So they go out the top of its head, (laughs) not out of its butt. Yes. Thank you for that. Uh, so I do want to, uh, offer a a slight correction, Jimmy, the, in the, Mm. the star dates, uh, at least according to memory alpha, the first season had star dates that began one, two, and three. Second season had uh, started at three and four, and the third season had episodes that started with four and five. So okay, uh, well I know it's yeah. approximate, but they do yeah. advance over the course. Yes, yeah, so this is probably a, a, in the area of the uh, the third season, just as oh. a as thought. But uh, yeah, but but there were but but there were those extra other two years of that original five year mission that we we don't really have uh, stories from. So this. You know they they could still go back and mine those. You know with the with the uh, well, and they have repeatedly um, yeah. in different media. But I I count the uh, the animated series that Gene Roddenberry accepted paychecks for as the <laughs> canon as as canon and as part yes. of the five year mission. <laughs> right, right. Uh, just looking here, they, if if this was fifty three seventy one, this would fall somewhere between. Uh, yeah, the thing though is you can't. It, these aren't like the star dates in the next generation era where they they tell you the actual episode yeah. order. Yeah, right. you you can't uh, put them in chronological order or in numerical order and have them make chronological sense. I know, I know, but I was gonna I was gonna say it falls in between um in the children shall lead and Spock's brain. So maybe mm. maybe maybe something with this Which mind melt better than either with... one of those. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. All right. So I guess uh, I think if that's it, we'll, we'll wrap this up. And uh, before we finish, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Father Daryl, Matt M., AJ, Jenny N., and Thomas Z. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits our show every week. And so that's it from us. What did you think of this uh, animated series episode, One of Our Planets is Missing? You can let us know by commenting at sqpn.com slash trek, or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or by sending us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time, and we'll be discussing the Next Generation episode... Darmok, one of the favorites of uh, of fans. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. 
Thank you and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, it's like a huge bull grazing here and there in the pasture of the universe. <laughs> <laughs>